0: Hello, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and all in around Merry December.
1: That's right, it's The Arts Report with your host, Ashley Park.
0: And I'm Jake Clark.
1: And today is December the 6th.
0: That's correct. You know, the funny thing is, before touching on the date, I do want to note that I've been known to put the Claypool-Lennon delirium on before the show's theme because Mm -hmm. it's fun having our theme come out of a Les Claypool project. Yep. That Primus song you just heard before this, which is The Scheme, uh, I don't know which album that's on. I actually didn't recognize it, but that was not my intention. That just happened.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I enjoy spontaneous moments like that. It's kind of fun.
1: Yeah, it is. It is actually quite nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, generally, it's, it's a good time. And we actually have a couple call-in interviews recently, so we want to stand by for those. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got so, we got a lot of good stuff. Though we actually do have some holiday-themed content, which is terrific because this is going to be my last show of the year.
1: It is, yeah, yeah. that's what I heard too. And um,
0: uh, we might not actually have to take, may actually have to take a quick PSA break just to get these things back in line. We're sorry about that, mm-hmm. but such is life. All right. All right. One second, please.
2: Having trouble finding affordable, fresh-baked goods and coffee? Come down to Agora Cafe, located in the Macmillan Building at UBC. There's also space built to study.
3: The UBC Concrete Canoe Team is a student engineering design team. Every year, we design, build, and race a canoe made entirely out of concrete. Whether you're in first year, fourth year, or anything in between, we would love to have you as a member. Check out our Facebook page, UBC Concrete Canoe, or our website, yesitfloats.com, for more details.
2: Your clubs. Now back to me. Now back to your clubs. Now back to me. Sadly, I'm not part of your club, but if you join the AMS Sci Fi Fantasy Society, I could bring the club to you. Look down, back up. Where are you? You're sitting with your friends and enjoying a nerdy movie. What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's a membership card giving you access to the 2,000 books in our sci fi fantasy library, as well as access to our book club and writing circle. Look again. The card is now a guaranteed 10% off at White Dwarf Bookstore. Anything is possible when you join the ams sci-fi fantasy society i'm on the radio
4: find us on facebook at ubc sci-fi and fantasy society or email us at sfssoco at gmail.com our club room is located on the third floor of the nest room 3206d
1: and welcome back to the show we have a guest with us on air could you introduce yourself to our audiences please
5: Hi, it's Gail Suderman. I'm Artistic Director of Good Noise Vancouver Gospel Choir. Well,
1: thank you very much for joining us today.
5: Uh, it's a pleasure. And uh, I understand you guys have uh,
0: your annual Christmas show going on right now, which is actually a sold-out show.
5: Yeah, December 15th, uh, we have an uh, evening concert. And on the 16th, uh, two concerts, afternoon and evening. And yes, all three are now sold out.
0: That's, that's, uh, and are these, if you don't mind me asking, where do these take place? Are these in a church setting? Or are they in a concert hall?
5: Uh, this uh, Christchurch Cathedral, which is downtown Georgia in Burrard. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's our it's our home base. We rehearse there, perform there. So, uh, yeah, it's a great concert venue, used for a lot of um, a lot of concerts for various groups in Vancouver.
0: And now we've had various representatives of good noise on the show for the for the holidays before, and every time we're really very interested in how you guys sort of keep it fresh because choir music, choral music, is a very venerated tradition, mm-hmm. um, especially in. We would say, well, a lot of well, actually, come to think of it, like it, it didn't come out; it, it predates most nation, sort of.
5: Yeah, well, so. being a gospel choir, we're a little bit different than a traditional choral ensemble or, or a choir. Um, in that a lot of our music is related to popular um, styles and genres, so gospel music very much related to soul music r and b, um, you know various popular styles so in keeping it fresh, um, I like to tap into a lot of the different genres that are more popular, um, for example, this year. Um, Doing some new songs that um, are are more um, soul music style, like related to the Staple Singers and Darlene Love, Stevie Wonder, and some of the Christmas music that they've put out in the past. So um, it's actually quite a lot of fun to look for new music because there's such a wide variety out there
0: and there's a lot of uh, f- quite a few reference points with christmas music too cuz a lot of a lot of very successful artists end up making a christmas album at
5: one point absolutely i mean it's you know <laughs> yeah a lot of artists when when they're looking for a a little bit of a money maker maybe or or um you know something—they've done a few albums, and now what to do? Yeah, they often put out a Christmas album and uh, do you know original um, arrangements of some traditional songs. So.
6: Well,
0: it's like about a boy where the royalties from that Christmas song, because it's a seasonal favorite, right? Uh, sure. Keep keep paying out like that's So you get you get some good ones there. Like the one that I think. Not a lot of them stick though, and when they do stick, like there's like the Mariah Carey song "All I Want for Christmas Is You."
5: I've heard that a few now, times has already. Now it's become
1: like a, a a new like Christmas kind of canon song. Like people are like, okay, you have to play that song It's part of like you know. Celebrating That's the holidays. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
5: every once in a while, new. Um, uh, well, we're doing a Stevie Wonder tune someday at Christmas, and it was really popular in the '70s and '80s, mm-hmm. and then he brought it back a couple of years ago with some Andre Day and redid it as a duet so um yeah even bringing back some of the ones that you know when they originally came out were pretty popular and then and then uh you know revising them and updating them a little bit so
0: would you say you draw inspiration from contemporary gospel performers like kirk franklin
5: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We're doing a Kirk Franklin arrangement of Silent Night. Uh, mm-hmm. Richard Smallwood's another um, really popular contemporary gospel artist that has um, Christmas music out. Israel Houghton, and um, so yeah, definitely we tap into that. Plus some traditional. Hello, hello. Oh, hello, Gail.
0: Gail, can you can you can you hear us? Sorry. Yes, I can still hear you. There you go. Sorry, you cut out there for a second. <laughs> yeah.
5: Oh, yeah. Um, I was just saying, plus some traditional um, uh, gospel artists like Mahalia Jackson, mm-hmm. and you know, who put out some Christmas albums as well. So,
1: And what was your experience in putting the show together? You mentioned that you were drawing new uh, influences to make sure it was different from the last one. What was the experience in putting the show uh, together, and what are you most excited to show your audiences, especially that for the sold-out crowd? So there's already something that's going to be like, a huge buzz.
5: Yeah, um, yeah, it has a huge buzz already, Mm -hmm. Um, sort of continued, and and that's why I looked for music, it was sort of soul music, we've been doing a lot of gospel-related soul, or soul-related gospel music in the past couple years, and the audience has really taken to it, so I did some searching for sort of that style, but our guest artist is Maureen Washington, Canadian Mm -hmm. jazz singer. Um, and she doesn't just do jazz. She does gospel, soul, R&B, um, really, a, um, you know, well-rounded singer. And uh, I think having her coming over, she lives in Victoria now. Um, she's going to provide a real wonderful energy to the concert as well, um, both with her solo set and then singing with the choir.
0: All right. That sounds, that sounds like a generally uh, very, very fun time. And now if, if our viewers, uh, listeners, sorry, um, want to catch a show of yours, but they uh, obviously the show's sold out. When is your, when is your next uh, venture and what is that going to be like?
5: We're actually doing a couple of things that are free. One is December 13th um, at the Vancouver Convention Center with the Pan Pacific, their annual Christmas Wish Breakfast, uh, where people bring a gift for a child and then they get a free buffet breakfast uh, courtesy of the Pan Pacific. So we're singing there as sort of the live entertainment. And then on December 24th at the Cathedral, um, they have several Christmas Eve services, and we're singing at the 1 p.m. service. Again, free of charge, and the choir will be singing. There'll be some carol singing, uh, various things. So people just need to line up early for that one because it's pretty popular. It always has an overflow crowd. Would you
0: say that your ventures are very community-oriented
5: in this way? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We uh, we especially at Christmas time we have some some uh, regular um, events that we do that um, really connect with the community in addition to our concerts. So, you know, it's a, obviously Christmas is a time of giving. People think that a lot, and uh, we make a point to, um, to make sure we're connected to that as well.
0: Very good, very good. And uh, I suppose, I, I have a small question for you. For those who are, um, who are more familiar with the, the secular, and I understand you're, you guys are breaking into secular mix, but if there's one gospel song you'd recommend to someone who's not familiar with the genre, what would it be? Mm-hmm. How, what would be a good sort of see into that? What's, what's Yeah, like?
5: you know, I'd check out um, anything Kirk Franklin, Christmas. Um, Richard Smallwood Christmas, like if they're looking to sort of really understand the gospel experience, and even some of the old Mahalia Jackson Christmas to kind of hear the origins of, of just the beginnings of of contemporary gospel music, and then um, Stevie Wonder, um, you know, those artists as well, they've done they've done Christmas, and their backgrounds are are all from sort of a gospel tradition, so they incorporate that into their soul and their R and B. Uh, music, sort of the Motown sound. There's that whole eclectic mix of things. So, yeah, just exploring. I mean, if you if you just do uh, a Google search or a YouTube search for gospel Christmas music, there's a whole lot of stuff that comes up.
6: Good mm-hmm.
0: stuff. I, I imagine there would be.
6: Yeah, mm-hmm. sounds good.
0: Sure the holiday. Uh, all right. Uh, is there now? Um, is there anything else? I suppose, with the show. I
1: Well, of course, it sounds like it's going to be sold out. If there's anything that people do want to go see, if they have any last-minute tickets, do you sell them by the door by chance or no?
5: We don't. We are actually Ah. completely sold out. So, yeah, (laughs) there won't be any tickets at the door this year. And I just should say that we've never sold out this early. Like, it Mm -hmm. sort of took us by surprise. Um, of course, a nice surprise because you know when you put on a concert you 're always looking to sell those tickets but mm-hmm. um yeah, it just uh, we 've been sold well since about a week ago, and it 's the earliest we 've ever sold out, so mm-hmm. it's it 's a bit of a you know, we wish we had more, and I even thought, oh, could we add a fourth concert? But of course, everything's just booked up this time of, course, of year, of course. Yeah,
6: and uh, really not busy. really
5: an opportunity to add that. So maybe for next year, we'll have to consider mm-hmm. consider expanding our series a little bit. And
1: you mentioned that you do have other events around uh, around this time as well, so people can't go to those. They can go hit the uh, free events; they just have to line up, which is great. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on our show today, and uh, break a leg! On thank the you so much. Yeah, Thanks for too. having
5: me. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. That was, that was fun.
1: Yeah, that was great. I'm really excited. Uh, again, gospel music during this time is always like a big thing. It is that holiday season after all, and it is going to be really good to see what uh, they can do.
0: The interesting thing for me, I kind of wonder sometimes, mm-hmm. I was thinking about asking this, but it is a really daft question, is that if you, if you sort of have to be in this church setting to appreciate it. And the interesting thing is that a lot of the so. ways churches are built is acoustically. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily for music, but church music has been around for a a a long time it's been one of the Mm -hmm. domains of it like Hildegard of of Bingen Bingen Bingen, uh, another thing along with Brecht Brecht go for plenty that I can't seem to pronounce Mm -hmm. Uh, her compositions have been around for a while I've seen them performed like the Moo Major chord started out in um I think Dominican chants. Mm -hmm. it's 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 weird how interconnected that history is especially for someone who like as. As an as an atheist myself, like I haven't seen much of gospel music in the flesh, but I've mm-hmm. I've listened to a lot of it, and I've certainly listened to a lot of R and B in my life. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely that influence. Like Solomon Burke was a minister. I didn't know that. Yeah. So was so um, uh what's a guy? Let's say he again. Al Green. He's mm-hmm. got like a church in Memphis.
1: I feel like I feel like Al Green would have. I, I don't know. When you mentioned Al Green, I wasn't that surprised. But anyway, I, I actually grew up um, in kind of a Catholic uh, setting. My parents uh, went to church. We went to one of the few uh, Korean community churches back in the day, in the good old uh, late 90s, y'all. And uh, I remember there was always, you know, that kind of like mass thing that happens, uh, especially around that time, a lot of singing. Singing is a good way for people to kind of like get together and uh, kind of like praise something, I think. Singing has just been a universal thing for everyone. So even if you're not... Religious, I actually am not, uh, to be honest. Um, It's still really nice to listen to, I think. And one thing I really dig about, like, old school music that you don't see anymore is that you don't really have those, like, deep, deep baritone voices anymore, right? In, well, like, popular music. Yeah, I've, right? I've
0: noticed that a little bit. Like, I can't think of anybody working right now who really goes into that range because with a lot of R&B guys, they do, like, the falsetto thing. Mm-hmm. Like, with the – I mean, as can, as a Canadian, I think we're kind of responsible for that because we're the nation that produced Justin Bieber, Drake, and The Weeknd.
6: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, – Justin Bieber R and B credit is it doesn't exist, but uh, the like the higher pop, yeah. So well, true. well, it, those are like the like Drake and The Weeknd sort of
1: d- like kind of
0: occupy. Yeah. Oh no, it's it's, it's, it's falsetto. With The Weeknd, is falsetto. Yeah, like, Weeknd is
1: falsetto, definitely, a ten- but with, Drake kind of goes into tenor ter- territory a little bit, not too much.
0: insofar far as he can sing, yes, he yeah. sings tenor. Yeah, I think tenor, and that's actually I, I like him better when he sings. To be honest, like,
1: than when he raps.
0: Yeah, it, when he does it both in the same song, it's weird. It's just awkward because like you got this smooth r and b bridge, and then you got the verses about him being hardcore uh when you're an an alumnus of the degrassi franchise, it's hard to make that seem true like that is the only thing when fifty mo- percent of Canadians so they look at Drake and they're like, oh, yeah, he was on degrassi at some point
1: mm-hmm.
0: I, I, that's not just me, right? No, I, I've never I, actually watched Degrassi, but I still know that
1: that's okay. I haven't watched like. I, I don't even remember, like, a plot of Degrassi, to be honest. I remember watching it, but I don't remember any of the plots. Because it was just kind of like, you know, the, the quintessential, like, middle school, high school narratives and stuff like that. Um, it,
0: imagine halfway between Dawson's Creek and Skins. Okay. Uh, leaning towards With, Dawson's, Dawson's
1: Creek, Creek.
6: yeah.
0: But like like like, Skins is a really brilliant show. Degrassi, to, to its credit, like uh, like I I, I what that Canadian I know show. of it because I haven't show. I haven't watched it, so it's hard to say this. But mm-hmm. like from what I know of it, from what I'm aware of, it's a show that people are like. Yeah, it's a it's a tween show. But it's not terrible in that regard. And, like, like I, I have no hatred. I know some people who well and truly hate the show. I can't muster any anger for it. It seems like a good Hollywood North project. I'm just glad we have them. Mm-hmm. I've seen, like, it, because that's part of the whole thing that also allows Bruce McCulloch to continue making work. Yeah. For those who know who Bruce McCulloch is, they're also going, like,
1: yay. Jake mentioned him. Anyway, we're going to go to a few more ads and PSAs and we'll be back with more content. We actually Mm -hmm. have a very special holiday hour today. We're going a little bit past 6 o'clock.
0: Yep. But before that, we're actually probably going to do a phone interview, all thing going well, for what you may bump on New Year's, said by someone who has never bumped anything and will likely have a very bizarre New Year's.
1: Anyway, we'll be back after these messages.
2: Have you ever used or wanted to use a community lending library, collective workshop, or bike co-op? Come out to Making Space, Questioning Power and Privilege in Makerspaces on Wednesday, November 29th in the Mount Pleasant Neighborhood House from 5 to 8 p.m. to examine how power and privilege shows up in makerspaces and explore strategies that support more inclusive and equitable initiatives. Go to diversityandmakerspaces.eventbrite.ca to register for this event, and there'll be free food.
6: Hi, my name's Matthew. When I first got back from a military tour in Afghanistan, any time I heard a siren or even a car alarm, I'd lose it completely. I would turn into a wild man, screaming, waving my arms. People would yell at me, shut up, you crazy. Get a job, would you? Well, I didn't go out and get a job. I got help instead. Now, I'm in a clean and safe apartment. I have friends and helpers who understand me. I landed a decent job. But I gotta admit, I still don't like car alarms or sirens. I used to think mental illness was a death sentence. I got life instead.
2: This message was produced by Columbian Center Society and Radio Malaspina in British Columbia. So you're a member of CITR and Discorder, but are you a true friend? Get a Friends of CITR and Discorder card for $20 for discounts on Main
6: Street at
2: Anti-Social Skateboard Shop, Biltmore Cabaret, Red Cat Records, Lucky Comics, The Wallflower Modern Diner, Neptune Records, The Rag Machine, The Regional Assembly of Text, and so many more.
4: Nihilist man. Huh? They kept saying they believed in nothing. Nihilists. F-
2: the Greatest Date from Nihilism, Rediscovering Our Passion in Late Modernity by Dr. Gordon E. Karkner involves a journey out of the prison of contemporary nihilism and into a meaningful life trajectory. Rooted in the work of Canadian premier philosopher Charles Taylor. This book is a relevant read for students and faculty. You can find it at the UBC or Regent bookstores.
4: Who's the f***ing Nihilist around here, you bunch of f***ing crybabies?
2: You're a member of CITR and Discorder, but are you a true friend?
3: Get a Friends of CITR and Discorder card for $20 for
0: discounts in Hastings Sunrise at
2: Beat Street Records, Bomber Brewing, Community Vintage and Thrift, Community Thrift and Vintage, Pandora's Box Rehearsal Studios, Red Cat Records, and Selectors Records. Allow me to tell you about Unseated Airwaves? What's that?
3: Isn't that some kind of indigenous radio show?
2: It sure is. Mm-hmm. Tell me, are you down for decolonization? Yeah. What?
0: I certainly wish I could hear about indigenous issues, people, and yeah. events on the radio.
2: You're in luck, because Unseated Airwaves talks about all these things and more every Monday morning at 11.
3: Music from indigenous artists and coverage yeah. of all of the hot happenings in indigenous art and mm-hmm. entertainment.
2: On um, CITR 101.9 mm-hmm. FM. Oh, wow. And they broadcast all this from the traditional ancestral and unceded territory yeah. of the Musqueam people? Find out for yourself mm-hmm. Monday mornings at 11, yeah. or find episodes
0: online at CITR.ca. Mm-hmm.
4: Today, we're joined yeah. in the studio by the Cedar Program Youth. Where you are. At.
6: <laughs>
1: And welcome back to the show.
0: I'm still Jake Clark.
1: I'm still Ashley Park, and this is The Arts Report. We are listening to uh, CITR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting from unceded Muslim territory in Vancouver. We have another special guest with us today.
0: Assuming technology holds out.
1: If you'd like to introduce yourself on air, please do.
0: Hey, it's uh, Ace Lam from Global Party Starters. Could you speak up, sir? Sorry. Could you speak up there, man? Sorry. I, uh... Can you? How's
3: that?
0: Can you hear me guys
1: better? Yeah, we're, we're good.
0: We're good? Cool. And uh, so we uh, hear you guys dropped a new album in September, that's correct?
3: Yes, sir. Yeah, we did. And that would be called? Um, The actual album is called Tonight.
1: Tonight. Could you tell us more about the genre that Global Party Starters kind of like belongs to? If you guys don't have a genre, how would you characterize your music?
3: Yeah, no, it it definitely fits uh, like in the what people call the electronic music or the EDM genre. Because EDM has gotten so kind of broad. Mhm. And
0: and uh, so
3: within and within
0: that I think the, what I read about is your mission statement is to sort of take it to a as you said deeper lyrical area. And that's interesting because EDM is also the sort of addition to lyrics to EDM at least that I've noticed as someone who's not that familiar with the genre is more a more recent thing with DJs like Calvin Harris who've uh,
3: Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's kind of um, yeah, broadened uh and a lot of producers have really pushed the limit on it um so that's why the instead of like electronic music or dance music they've kind of brought it into the broader term which is edm and uh that's kind of incorporated a lot of different types of electronic music
0: and would you say that there's a specific subgenre of that that influences you because i've heard different things like i i if i if i'm gonna be perfectly honest with you like i i can tell that like the difference in sound between like dj snake and calvin harris but there's uh I've heard, like, DJ Snake referred to as as trap EDM, and I, I don't know yeah. the difference. Would yeah, that no,
3: that's totally right. I would say, like, we're the closest, like, to us is Major Laser, but I think what separates us is, obviously, I, um, if anyone's heard our stuff before, we keep, like, a major Indian influence. So, I think of Major Laser like, they're very electronic, but they have a heavy reggae influence, nice. and we're electronic, but we have a very Indian influence, um... And borderlines on world music, like, I think Major Laser 10 years ago would have been characterized as world music, but now they're in EDM. And we actually just applied for the Junos, um, and I applied in world music, and the Juno community actually emailed me back and said, no, we think you actually fit the dance category now. So, like, the, and their category for dance is now EDM. So it's really, like, yeah, they've really kind of, like, just branched out of what is acceptable and, and considered in, you know, EDM music.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you do a lot of remixes? Of different ones? Because I, I know you guys did a remix of, uh, of one dance that was pretty good.
3: Yeah, so I started off actually doing remixes of, um, of actual tracks, like using their vocals. And after so many kind of takedowns, um, we started doing the vocals ourselves. And then, uh, um, yeah, so then we've been remixing like popular songs, but re-singing the vocals ourselves. And then, uh, yeah, kind of doing it that way.
0: And uh, when we covered Keep Us on Your Radar, you used both um, male and female vocals. Do you say that there's yeah. uh, use more female vocals, more male vocals?
3: Yeah, honestly, I think we're straight down the line, 50-50. Yeah, we have two singers in the group, so yeah, we're, we're really right down the line.
0: How large is the group in general? Is it, is it like a, a large sort of uh, production team, or is it like a, a more insular, almost like a band?
3: Yeah, so it's two producers, me and Ryan, and then... Um, two artists, which is a male and female singer. And then from there, we have a couple of instrumentalists that we really like taking live. So we have a violinist that we work with. Sometimes we have a doli, which is a Punjabi-style drum that we work with all the time. Uh, but in the studio, it's mainly usually the two producers and then two singers. Okay. Do you guys? What do you guys play yourselves? Like, instrument-wise? Yeah. Uh, I grew up... Everything's done on piano, like on a keyboard, but I played bass uh, and drums in high school. And then uh, Ryan's just you know, a little bit of piano just from producing, but everything's produced on a on a MIDI keyboard.
0: Is it, like, because you've got the knowledge of, like, the percussion, the bass, is it you sort of handle the bottom half of the track and he sort of goes the top half of the track?
3: No, it's pretty pretty even. Like, we just lay, yeah, we just kind of, and it's almost like we'll work on tracks, like, like I don't know how to kind of explain it, like, we always have, like, two or three songs going at the same time. So we're always, like, bouncing ideas off each other.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, and... uh with, with tonight, the album the album tonight, not not this yeah. physical night, but, but yeah. um, oh, I understand you are playing a gig tonight, but uh, with the album tonight, is there a, a specific sort of um, vibe you were going for with that, as opposed to Keep Us On Your Radar, which was your previous album? Was there a sort of yeah, change-up?
3: We were it? definitely going for less of a house vibe, like Keep Us On Radar has more of um, a house vibe, and we definitely were going, we're trying to just show that like South Asian artists don't have to be world music, we don't have to be categorized in South Asian music we can be mainstream artists and a lot of people have been fighting this battle. Um, Cause right when people see like Brown people, it, mm-hmm. it's just true. They assume they do Brown music and like people have been fighting this, not just Brown people, every culture that's not either white or black fights to be taken seriously in a mainstream music market. So um, like black music and black people fought that battle a long time ago and uh, and now it's time for other cultures to fight the same fight. So I'll give you an example. Filipino artists almost are never on mainstream radio, and there's never been a mainstream Filipino artist until Bruno Mars, who barely plays up the fact that he's actually Filipino. Uh, I don't think... Oh, I know this for a fact. A South Asian has never won um, an electronic music Juno, even though it's amazing South Asian electronic music producers. Uh, so you just, you're just you fighting that war. So we're just fighting... With Tonight, we're like, look, we're not going to stay in that world music market, we're going to be South Asian, we're going to have South Asian instrumentation, but we're going to try to blast an album that can break into a mainstream music market. And even still, people think that it can't be done and we won't make it, but, you know, we'll see what happens.
0: Uh, Kim says so I remember on the night shift I was at, uh, way towards the start of the year, when Kim Mortal came on, she said something like that really briefly towards the start of the show because she's she's a Filipino. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good point. And you guys certainly... Um, you guys were mentioned in uh, alongside. I think the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the it escapes me right now, but you guys definitely you got some you had some pretty hot tracks out there. With um, I, I, I realize I sound say this like someone who's never said those words before in his life. That's just how I say things.
3: <laughs> but,
6: just,
0: but you've had some pretty no, tracks. I know.
3: That, I know. We were alongside. You might be thinking of the Stingray. Hit that's list, it. Like, yes. Like, yeah, we tried to break mainstream radio, and we. Again, it's been super hard, and we have a lot of people in like mainstream radio that love us. But again, you're fighting a you're, and you're fighting so you're fighting a race battle, and you're fighting a money battle. Like those artists are, you know, have millions of dollars behind them in marketing, and we don't have that. So, but, but um, you guys are anyway, driven but, by
1: the love of what you want to do.
3: Yeah, but mm-hmm. there. So I don't know who it was at Stingray, but Stingray is kind of like their own radio station. It's like Spotify, but for businesses, and. Someone at Stingray loved the Tonight single, which is also called Tonight, and um, they put us on the Stingray hit list, and uh, that's like being like on mainstream radio. That's alongside, like at the same time that we were on the hit list, uh, number one, Calvin Harris, was on the same playlist, and Calvin Harris' slide was on the same. So like literally, you would hear like DJ Khaled, Global Party Starters, and then you'd hear Calvin Harris. So. Um, And that's still on that Stingray hit list, so people will message me from, like, Cactus Club, or they'll be working at the gym. They're like, bro, you're on the radio right now. Um, And that's Stingray. So, yeah, big ups to them for, like, just judging the song for being amazing and not, you know, and not based on the amount of money that's behind it or who the actual, you know, the race and designation of the artist. That's
0: certainly a good thing. You know, when you said Stingray hit list, the first thing I thought of was Steve Irwin on that. <laughs> uh, okay sorry okay that, that was a little tasteless mm-hmm. yes. but uh, okay so if we want to check out your album where can we find it
1: mm-hmm. Do you
6: have a sound
3: so pod? the whole album is on YouTube and the whole album is on Spotify mm-hmm. so if you just search global Party Stutters, both of our albums are on yeah on both YouTube and Spotify are the best places
0: excellent all right and that that I think might show up uh, with uh, on a few people's New Year's play playlists notwithstanding any sort of manta shaped entity hmm. Hey, all right. It was uh, it was good to have you on the show, there, man. And
1: let's uh, look at the Junos. In
0: the words of uh, yeah. Andrew WK, "Party hard."
1: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> Thanks so much. And thank you guys so much for you know taking the time to like kind of showcase us a little bit. Really appreciate it. No,
1: uh, not problem. at all. Not at all. Have a good one.
3: Cheers. Great. Have a great night, guys.
0: I think I was going for a Wayne's World reference there, and I kind of kind of stopped halfway through because I I don't know if I've I haven't seen Wayne's World in so long. <laughs>
1: So you're like, okay, should I paraphrase uh, Wayne's World or should I not? Well,
0: it's like I don't need to paraphrase. The reference is "Party on," dude. But, but I, that's also from—is that from Bill and Ted? That's, it's, wait, it's, It doesn't matter. The, the point mm-hmm. is, I get Wet's a great album too. But yeah, you know, you know, the thing I kind of realized about that mm-hmm. with um, with 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 Wayne's World is that I saw—I mentioned the war on Christmas last episode. I've seen a lot of Christian, and it wasn't a war on Christian movie, Christ, Christmas movie but it was a uh, a religious film made by Kevin Sorbo the mm-hmm. TV's Hercules uh, uh called Let There Be Light where his characters this atheist pundit uh and his i think that his character i think directly references Wayne's World but also has it like an Andrew WK poster at some point so i was wondering if like his wife wrote it it seems like someone googled the line Saw the Andrew WK song, like that's where it's from. But the intonation is exact; sounds exactly like Wayne's World. So, it was something I thought that's a fairly easy reference to clear up. I don't know that these these are the things I think about. Mm -hmm. It goes to a weird place.
1: You mentioned a night shift uh, when you were talking. To a global party start. And oh, I actually yeah. wanted to uh, bring it up. At the MOA tomorrow, they have another night shift. It's called Supernatural Vibes. It is tomorrow, Thursday, December the 7th. Bar music will be uh, at 7 p.m., live show at 8 p.m. The admission is $10, but it is free for Indigenous people, UBC students and staff, and MOA members. Uh, and it's going to be a great time. Looks like we have an MC Suzette Amaya. She created an all-female lineup of indigenous spoken word and hip-hop performers from around the Northwest Coast. Uh, Supernatural Vibes will celebrate the Northwest Coast matriarch voices to honor women's stories, talents, and histories. While you're here, you can check out the new gallery of Northwest Coast Masterworks and the inaugural exhibit in a different light. So you have people. The lineup is JB the First Lady. Geraldine Webster, a.k.a. JB the First Lady, is a member of the Uh, and Onondaga Nations. I do apologize if I'm saying it incorrectly. Um, She is a Vancouver-based hip-hop and spoken word artist, beatboxer, cultural dancer, and youth educator. She has four studio albums under her belt, and JB sees her songs as a way of capturing oral history and isn't afraid to write lyrics that speak to challenging subjects like residential schools and missing and murdered Indigenous women, especially Mm. when we consider BC's... uh, History, even you know, our radio station—we are on the unceded uh, territory of the Musqueam people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Did, did we mention that at the beginning? Did we forget? Oh, no,
1: my. no. We, I mentioned it. Oh, yeah. I mentioned it. We always mention it because it's always good for us to know this is unceded land, and yeah. we need to respect the fact that you know, it was taken without you know permission.
0: Yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 a contextual note.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: And you also have Sister Says. It's a soulful indie pop group based out of Vancouver's, uh, based out of Vancouver. It's fronted by a mixed Haida uh, Simshian siblings, uh, Jillian and Robert Thompson. They have kind of a dreamy, eclectic, and lyrically rich type of music. Sister Says roots stem from soul, blues, and pop music that the two of them grew up around as children. They have performed at uh, festivals and an area of venues in BC, Ontario, Manitoba, as well as abroad. Then you have Christy Lee Charles, aka Crunch. She is an MC who uses rap from in the ancient Musqueam dialect to educate and teach about Musqueam culture, which sounds pretty friggin' rad to me already. Uh, she has uh, ancestry from the Sailor Way Tooth and Squamish nations, direct descendants of Capilano, and their great, great, great grandfather was the first documented documented citizen of Vancouver.
0: So she's got some roots here.
1: That's right. And his portrait sketched by a Spanish explorer hangs in the Vancouver City Hall. You have DJ Osho, Oren Askew, a.k.a. DJ Osho, is from the Squamish Nation. And her uh, genre, true love, is hip-hop and R&B. So she has a lot of different beats to ensure that you never want to leave the dance floor. You have also Candice Kerr and Suzette Amaya, again, who will be the MC. It sounds like a really great night. That is tomorrow at the MOA, Night Shift, Supernatural Vibes. Uh, the bar and music is going to be uh, seven o'clock. Live show at eight. Admission ten dollars, but it's free for Indigenous people, UBC students and staff, and MoA members.
0: If you're an Indigenous student who is a MoA member, I think they give you money.
1: <laughs> no, they don't.
0: Really? No. Oh, but... <laughs> could, could I you...
1: know you were joking though.
0: No, I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe you could ask. <laughs>
1: Anyway, anyway, it sounds like it's gonna be a good show. Definitely check it out if you want to support your indigenous artists and your local amazing Vancouver music.
0: Yep, yep, that's always a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, after we take a short break, do we wanna, or do we do we need to really need to take a PSA break again?
1: Do you feel like taking a PSA break, or are you ready to talk about
0: better watch out or on watch again? Out. I am ready to talk about better watch out because.
1: What uh, is Better Watch Out?
0: So, Better Watch Out is a holiday thriller. And mm-hmm. yes, that is a genre, because I'm pretty sure it's Black Christmas. Uh, and uh, the, uh, There's a
1: lot of holiday-related thrillers, right? Let me check here.
0: Well, like, the same or way Die Hard is technically movies. a Christmas movie. But no, like, some of them are themed this way. Like, yeah. I remember there was one. I think it is Black Christmas. Because There's I Black was,
1: Christmas out of 1974. You yeah. Gremlins. Gremlins. Gremlins is a Christmas movie? Yes, Apparently it is. right. It, it, yeah. is. it is. It is. Yeah. And you had like what what was that one? Krampus? Krampus? Oh yeah. That was like that was like a big one, right? That's one of those things where
0: like I figure that we're living in a point where supernatural to keep itself going as a semi zombie franchise is just digging up more and more obscure bits of mythology. That is what I think movies like The Krampus come from. And in the case of the Krampus, that was so enjoyable. I
6: was like Enjoyable?
0: I am the Krampus was surprisingly entertaining. Hmm. It, it was. The Krampus is an actual piece of German mythology, by yeah, the way. Yeah, it, it like is, it's, is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's one of those things where...
1: What is Krampus?
0: It's, it's like a, a weird sort of demonic Santa figure. I don't actually know that much about it because I will confess, when I saw the movie, I had been drinking a liberal amount of eggnog. Mm-hmm.
1: It's the half goat, half demon uh, it's a horned, anthropomorphic figure, and it appears during Christmas season who punishes children who have misbehaved, in contrast to Saint Nicholas.
0: Like, uh, well, in Spain, I don't know if anybody here has seen the movie Collateral, but Javier Bardem tells a story about Santa's assistant, Black Peter, who uses a great deal of violence to keep erring children in line. As you do. <laughs> you know, like, that. a lot of Christmas traditions are terrifying. Like, I remember when I watched Kirk Cameron Saving Christmas, which is an acid trip of a film, um... Uh, they, they characterize, uh, Saint, Santa Claus as the person he was, except, which is a Greek priest who beat people up for not believing enough. Hmm. That's, that's a real thing. Apparently he, he struck people at the Count's Summit of Nicaea, I believe. I don't know. I'm not a biblical historian, but I will check that out later. The point is that the jolly opium merchant that we, the, we know of, uh. Or was he a cocaine merchant? the The Santa Claus designed in part by Coca Cola was not the uh, <laughs> the the exact figure uh-huh. he was made out to be in the early church. But that's it's interesting how that gets adopted, you know.
1: So how does you know better watch? Out, well, so better it.
0: watch out. Um, I I want to encourage you. This is one of those movies where having seen the trailer, half of the trailers spoil the movie, and that's a shame because this is a really effective thriller. Okay. I, I do want to say this much about a thriller: you can do a thriller for a house and the act and the lunch budget. A thriller can be done on very little money. A horror movie needs to be done for more money than a thriller, mm-hmm. but you can do a very good thriller for very little money. Joel Edgerton's proved that. Arguably, well, actually, the Hitchcock debatably proved that. I mean, he had the money, but he, um, you know, you can do one.
1: Yeah, you can do one.
0: And like the gift, like that's the Joel Edgerton example. I
1: feel like, I feel like if you really want a successful thriller or horror movie, you need to have a good sound setup.
0: You do. Yeah. And it, you, that means you need to put your money wisely, which is why you put put it in put it into post production. Get a good mm-hmm. sound mixer and get an excellent editor, and they did both here. So better watch out. Was made by Americans in Australia. And I, I was under the impression that it was a Canadian movie. I do not believe that's the case. It was directed by Chris Peckover, uh, who co-wrote the story with a writer named Zach Kahn. Mm-hmm. And,
1: um, what is the story about?
0: So the story is, and I'm, I'm reading this off IMDb because if I summarize it, I'll spoil it. In a, on a quiet suburban street, a babysitter must defend a 12-year-old boy from intruders, only to discover it's far from a normal home invasion. Dun, dun, dun. As, the, the phrase "normal home invasion" is weird to me.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like all I feel like. Oh man, I've had I had so many home invasions. Now I know which ones normal, which ones not normal. Like, oh,
0: you guys are wearing clown costumes. This is just abnormal. Now this is just bizarre. Where do you get off, sir? You forced your way into my home, hold me at gunpoint, and start destroying my things and try to rob me. But you are doing it abnormally. This is very surreal. <laughs> um, there are surreal moments in this as well. Um. I, I do want to say this. Yeah. That this is to um somewhat. I I guess it might be accurate to say this kind of is to Home Alone what? Uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the movie. I, I I this is it's happening more and more. Things are just occurring to me, and I can't quite remember.
6: Mm-hmm. But the
0: um uh, you know I know that movie the 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 YouTube video of Home Alone being recontextualized into like um you know just him torturing two guys two
6: adults yeah
0: yeah this this seems like the guy saw this <laughs> and because they do discuss home alone at the beginning and that comes back around later but uh, it does start off like there are little bits oh I, I do want to say also Patrick Warburton's in this and so is Virginia Madsen they're the oh. parents
1: <laughs> w- was it good
0: they they're they're good to have around. I will I do want to so Olivia, Olivia DeYoung, 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 De, her name is spelled DeJong, but I'm assuming it's Young. is uh the babysitter who protects the kid and the kid is leave is played by Levi Miller. Okay. Uh, I should mention <clears throat> the babysitter's name is Ashley, the kid's name is Luke. His friend Garrett is played by Ed O'Xenbold. Excellent O'Xenbold. God. Anyway, they're they're good. They're all they're all pretty solid. Um in terms in where where they uh, where they appear and like it's it's a, another point that I got to make uh, and this I don't want to spoil too much but Levi Miller's performance uh, takes a pretty effective turn in this. <laughs> uh, like the thing about this is again I, I want to say this this did not take a lot of money to make but it did take a very solid amount of skill and it took a pretty solid grasp of how you compose a thriller and how you keep suspension going because for the first 15 minutes it plays itself so straight i thought this is gonna be uh this is gonna be like the purge it's gonna have a good concept but it's gonna be disappointingly average no no uh no it it followed through uh pretty successfully with it and it played on that too which to be fair was kind of what the purges sequels did the uh if if i got to say like i i recommend if you can find it check it out like it, it was it was it was fun to watch it be, it's, it's might it honestly be wouldn't be a bad date movie if you like christmas music at all like if you like uh it it, it i think it closes with i want to say I don't know if it was Peggy Lee, but it closes with Ain't We Got Fun, which isn't a Christmas song. But otherwise, there's a panoply of Christmas songs, including, I want to say, The Ramones' Merry Christmas, I Don't Want to Fight Tonight, which I really want to play at the end of this episode, because that's a great Christmas song.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's uh, That was uh, It's sort of a leitmotif throughout to use the Christmas music.
1: Did it, do you think it was effective in raising the stakes, or do you think it detracted from the thriller vibe? It
0: gave the dissonant atmosphere... It made it really effective. This, this mm-hmm. film runs on dissonance. Got it. And, uh, yeah.
1: That, that was one thing I always wanted to kind of, like, know about. Like, I feel like some of the old, old school Christmas kind of, like, you know... Scary films, like, as, as you mentioned, Gremlins and, you know, Night Before Christmas and everything. It's just, it's supposed to kind of, like, not, not really scary. Well, oh, Gremlins like a and Nightmare Before
0: Christmas there are both be. delightful. Yeah, they can't be. Actually, Nightmare Before Christmas is legitimately horrifying in some, I, I, I <laughs> believe, Gremlins is a fun movie. Yeah, it's, it's a fine. Joe Dante movie, so it's enjoyable in that regard. A Nightmare Before Christmas, every time I watch it. Because I realized that Tim Burton probably wouldn't have had to work for a decade after making that movie.
1: It's such a good movie.
0: Yeah. He, he well, t- and it's a dual holiday cash-in. Yeah. That's an amazing...
1: They're like, hey, Halloween time, let's play it. Hey. That was a
0: shrewd bet for Mr. Tim Burton.
1: Christmas time, let's play it.
0: Yeah. With that, though, like, this is the thing with Tim Burton to me in general is every mm-hmm. time I see one of his movies again, because, uh, except for Ed Wood. Okay. Uh, which is also my favorite Tim Burton movie. Uh Make that what you will. I see a little bit more into his psyche, and it's v- sort of like peeling an onion, and I find it slightly discomforting.
1: Does it make you want to cry?
0: No, no. It just it just makes me wonder exactly uh, where the 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 root of it, it, it. I get. I think it started coming with Sleepy Hollow,
1: mm.
0: where I, I'm pretty sure Tim's mother issues just roared to the surface.
1: I actually I don't like uh, to. I, I don't really know too much about Tim Burton to make that kind of comment, but. All I know is that, for me, uh, the idea of a Christmas-themed horror movie has never drawn more than, like, laughter or, you know, campiness for me. Even if, like, you have something called, like, Slasher Santa. That was, like, made in, like, 2010, 2005. I have to double-check. Well,
0: that's like the Ginger Dead Man with Gary Busey. (laughs) (laughs) That's a thing. Look it up.
1: Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just want to know whether or not, you know, Christmas setting does translate to horror or not. Oh, it
0: works. This is a really effective, like, it is an effective thriller in that Uh for a thriller, you're not supposed to be horrified. You're supposed to be on the edge of your seat. Yeah. And then later on, I guess, the thing about a horror movie is the aim is to think, oh, my God. And then the thriller is sort of oh my god what's going to happen next?
6: Mm-hmm. It's a,
0: it's a small little bit, and that's why a lot of the time I think you can make a horror movie for as much as a thriller, despite there being a bit more of a technical demand. Yeah, because you need to just fire it off into some concentrated moments with a thriller. That's you need to keep it this the thing sort of tuned like a I don't want to say like a twelve string because I've seen thrillers like made more on like a really good four string bass. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. If we're, if we're going to talk about, like, you know, an instrument, then maybe something like as like like a tune, like a violin. Maybe. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, but not Psycho theme, right?
1: Yeah, right? Ring, 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 ring. Mm-hmm.
0: And our listeners who are listening on headphones are like,
1: Gah! Why now?
0: Why do you keep doing this, Jake? Also, why do you do these voices? It's really weird.
1: No, I don't think it's that weird.
0: Yeah, well, actually, I, I kind of, I, I heard myself doing an accent uh, the other day, and I thought, oh, God.
1: If That's I was Irish, learn, I'd though. punch me. That's how you learn, though. You kind of listen to yourself and you go, "Oh my God, why does it sound like this?"
0: It's like, "Oh, it sounds like we touch the leprechaun." Like if I was Irish, I'd have punched me.
1: <laughs>
0: Wait, I am sort of. Yeah. Well. Well. Anyway. Yeah. It's. It's like. Um. It's. It, it, if you like thriller movies, it, honestly, this would make wouldn't make a bad date movie at this point in yeah, the year. You enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was a good, good. Small budget, really. It made excellent use of what it had. It never seemed cheap. You get to see Patrick Warburton and Virginia Madsen, and that's always a treat. Uh-huh. Like, um, <laughs> I just, I just enjoy that. I, 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 because, because I like Sideways so much. I always get a kick when I see Virginia Madsen in things.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, she's been in more bad movies than good, but like, it's, you know, I, 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 I get, a, I get a kick out of that. And I, I, I liked this. I, I kind of, li- I, I really liked what this kind of brought together and i'm i'd be i'd be looking forward to see what the people in it turn out in i did think um olivia de young was jessica roth from happy death day Mm -hmm. a little bit uh they don't they don't look similar they're just both blonde and i'm an idiot um but uh yeah she was also also like jessica roth in happy death day she carried parts of the movie she was in it was solid yeah check it out if you want to see another holiday thriller If you like Black Christmas, you'll you'll get a kick out of this.
1: Mm -hmm. We're going to go to a few short messages, and we'll be back.
3: The UBC Concrete Canoe Team is a student engineering design team. Every year, we design, build, and race a canoe made entirely out of concrete. Whether you're in first year, fourth year, or anything in between, we would love to have you as a member. Check out our Facebook page, UBC Concrete Canoe, or our website, YesItFloats.com, for more details. Sit back.
6: Relax.
4: Don't miss Jack Velvet's Suburban Jungle Show with plenty of funk, soul, surf, and more music. Wednesdays, 8 to 10 a.m., 101.9 FM in Vancouver. Add us on Twitter, at Jack Velvet Radio, Find us online at jackvelvet.net.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Arts Report. Oh, hi, listeners. <laughs> oh, hi.
0: <laughs> Before we get into Anya again, we, I kind of want to do the shout
1: outs sure. for the
0: show because we got Beauty and the Beast, right? We have
1: Beauty and the Beast, and that's going to be at the uh, Stanley Alliance, and that's going to be mm. next week, Arts Club. Very excited. We'll be um, going to it, opening night, and reviewing it.
0: I am uh, not thrilled about the autotune, by the way. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and also, if you don't know, t- uh, the Disaster Artist is uh, here.
0: <laughs> and anyone who knows me, even remotely, knows my embarrassing and bizarre fascination with the room, almost as embarrassing and bizarre as the story of the room's actual creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Disaster Artist is one of my favorite books it's uh it's a story about the room written by Greg Sestero and Tom Bassell, which I mean suspect dictated by Greg Sestero and transcribed very amusingly by Tom Bassell. Yep. Uh it's a really good book. I highly recommend checking it out. Now, as with most pieces of literature, James Franco wanted to make a movie out of it. Uh-huh. unlike most pieces of literature, he did so coherently and to our note to the general public's notice. And that is premiering in Canada, I believe this coming if uh, tomorrow. it's tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow
1: you can you can see it. Uh I'm gonna go see a the Bank.
0: I will likely be with you there because yeah. I really want to see this, and this is a movie I will probably see. Okay, it, it, if this is a bad movie, the thing is, this might have a unique sort of fail-safe. because if this is a good movie, fine. If this is a bad movie, then it'll be kind of genius. It will
1: work because the room is so bad. Well, because
0: if it's a bad movie about a bad movie, yeah. that's like that. It, it's a cliche to invoke Inception, that's but great. I. It would. It would also
1: double negative make make, make it positive.
0: I, to those who have seen the room, I don't think <laughs> you've seen the room, right? I've seen the room. Like the, because I because I, I own it on DVD. It's the most I've ever paid for a DVD because uh-huh. it was it was a twenty dollars uh, DVD. It was signed by Tom Wizzo though, so that's mm-hmm. that's neat. Uh, and with that, I've I've screened that at parties, Be, with and without the knowledge of those there resulting in some very amusing observations.
1: If people don't know it, what The Disaster Artist is, can you tell us about that book?
0: So, Disaster Artist is basically an account of Greg Sestero's... That's Greg. And that's Mark. Mark!
6: Yeah, In Mark. the room.
0: Although he's playing... Yeah, it, it's Mark in the room, his friendship with Tommy Wiseau,
6: mm-hmm.
0: who you would know as Tommy Wiseau before knowing him as Johnny in the room because he lists his name three separate times in the credits. <laughs> uh, Tommy Wiseau is... A man who I'm pretty sure the Marvel Universe is identified as an intergalactic criminal. <laughs> I, I I am almost certainly sure that is in some issue of the comic because a Rhodesian paramedic buddy of mine told me it was, and I trust him. But <laughs> uh, the, the the concept it, it's it's uh, it uses separate timelines and it uses quotes from the talented Mr. Ripley and Sunset Boulevard. If you've seen either one of those movies, this is going to be a real treat. Yeah, because. That those are both great movies, by the way. Definitely check those out. If they're invoked at all in the film, I'm going to give them serious points for that. Like, The Talented Mr. Ripley is one of my favorite movies ever, and Sunset Boulevard is... Well, I love Billy Wilder, so... <laughs> but uh, the the book itself is actually... It's an excellent book in terms of it flows very well. It juggles these timelines. It gives you a really... Honestly, this really interesting impression, not only of this person, Tony Wiseau yeah. is, to an extent the person Greg Sestero is, but... You're not reading this to learn about Greg Sestero. Yeah, sorry, Greg Sestero. <laughs> he, he was in he was in Dude Bro Party Massacre, whatever. Yeah. Andy reviewed that last yeah, year. Yeah, he did. Yeah. And,
1: uh, and anyway, yeah, but like this is what, it's it's
0: yeah. it's fascinating. It really is because with Tommy Wiseau, even after reading the Disaster Artist, he's still a creature of ambiguity.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, he 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 seems even like uh, he seems, he seems so content, even though this book was made. I have no idea how he does.
0: That. I don't know if "content" is the right word.
1: I I don't seem really I, that phased. I, I think
0: unfazed.
1: Yeah, unfazed might yeah. be the best word. Good idea. And it's
0: interesting because James Franco has been unfazed, like Tommy Wiseau has been unfazed by normalcy for his entire, pretty much his entire functional career.
1: True. Like, and even though he does something weird, he's just kind of like, "Yeah, I did that."
0: Yeah, and, and like like Tommy Wiseau, James Franco is, I would say, a limited actor. Hmm. I, I, I he's not as bad an actor as Tommy Wiseau by mm-hmm. a long shot, but I, I I do want to say this of James Franco, and this is less true of Dave Franco, who plays Greg Sestero in the movie. James Franco plays Tommy Wiseau. Make yeah. of that what you will. Yeah. Um,
1: Make of that. <laughs> and Seth
0: Rogen, I think, is Sandy Schlegel, which is just delightful. Um, proud son of Vancouver that he is. Yeah, that's but, right. But uh, James Franco, I've often seen him, and this is mostly my impression from the fact that he was in love and distrust and mm-hmm. from his appearance in uh, as Spider-Man's nemesis but he's uh, he's occasionally a little one note he's occasionally a little little wooden uh, as an actor and I, I think that he has improved he's been in good movies
1: it, it, it seems like a really good cast you have James Franco you have Dave Franco you have Seth Rogen you have Alison Brie Eric Greener Alison Brie? yeah uh, Josh Hutcherson Jackie Weaver Zac Efron Hannibal If you have Hannibal Buress who's I Hannibal
0: Burris playing?
1: I, I can't tell you
0: I was like, "That's that, I honestly be in, okay." Nathan I,
1: Fielder, you have Nathan Fielder, another Vancouverite. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: Nathan Fielder, too.
0: West Coast.
1: This is gonna be good. I
0: I I I, I really I, the second I heard this movie is coming out, I'm thinking this is something I'm gonna see and I'm gonna have a, an opinion on, and it breaks my heart that I will not be able to share that on the show. Mm-hmm. So I want to do that when I get back. I I, I kind of want to do that. Because I want to kick off the new year talking about the room. <laughs> it's like
1: sure. You know what? Then you know what? We won't talk about the room next. Week. You won't really. We won't. We'll talk about it when you come back in January.
0: Wait, you sure Andy's gonna be okay with that?
1: Yeah, because t- why not? We'll make we'll make this day our last hurrah.
0: Because then I, I that will be that could be the entire episode. It's just me talking about, about the, the room. room.
1: <laughs> it, it, it's going to be it's going to be good. I'm actually gonna uh, watch mm-hmm. it again tonight. Just to remind myself how bad The Room was and then watch The Disaster Artist tomorrow and see what the making of the worst film is. You know what
0: makes me sad, sort of, for myself? That I have most of The Room probably functionally memorized. Like, I've never tested that, Mm -hmm. but my knowledge of that film is so intensive in large part to the book, The Disaster Artist, that I am probably more familiar with The Room than most films that are not... The Room Lord of the Rings or Train Spotting, uh huh. Which are two, or, or honestly, the talented Mr. Ripley. But th- that's uh, considering all the movies I've seen, considering the good and the bad, The Room is not the worst movie I've ever seen, it probably isn't even in the top five.
1: No, I, I just think it, it the overacting was so bad that you just kind of find it endearing after a while. And well, you it's, don't, it's incompetent, yeah, it's, it, it, it it's legitimately
0: bad. is, but yeah. it's an incompetence that is fascinating. But when you think about it. The room guy Mick could mix sound. I've seen Birdemic, where the sound mixer must have died while making it, because that's the only way I can assume that the, the, the horribleness of the recording. Uh-huh. I've seen Necromantic, which to this date is the worst excuse for a movie I have ever seen. Like Necromantic is the one time I've seen a movie and said this should not exist.
1: Well, to be honest, I think you know me. I have. I, I'm a very, very big stickler for, you know. Not wasting my time. So if I don't like a show, I'm going to leave right at intermission. I've
0: never left. I've never walked out of a movie.
1: Well, never have. You're, you're a good person. I've I've done that a lot. Mostly in theater, though. Just yeah. Well, yeah,
0: yeah, King Charles. <laughs> I yeah. feel,
1: I don't feel bad for that. People no. go, do you feel bad? I don't feel bad for that. I knew I was not going to enjoy the rest of the show. And I had better things to do.
0: And speaking of which,
1: Onyagin. Onyagin was so good. I can't believe I was like, oh, I hate blah, blah, blah. I hate this. I hate that. I'm going to walk out. Then I went. The arts
0: club has redeemed themselves.
1: It's so good. I
0: wanted to make a transition based on Tommy Wiseau's accent, but I think he's Polish. If I had to put money on it, he's Polish, not Russian. So
1: anyway, Onegin was so good. It is by Emile Gladstone and Vita Hill uh, based on the poem, the epic poem by Alexander Pushkin. If you don't know about it,
0: Emil Gladstone sounds like you should be starting a revolution right now. Um, I, I've so I read the book. Mm-hmm. I've read the the book by Pushkin, which that, is that's right. There was in, also
1: an opera too. Yes, it is by uh, Peter Ilyich Chik- Chikowski. Tchaikovsky?
0: I've I've only Chosky? listened a, a little bit to the opera, but mm-hmm. it's a good opera as far as that goes. The poem I highly recommend.
1: I read it too. I thought it was the going the whole thing. To I, I I didn't I read like part of it I'm like right. starting, I'm still reading through it I'm reading through it and I I still liked it but I think I feel like I liked it more because I saw this musical.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Like yeah. the the thing about the poem and the musical is that it is they are different from each other. We, we should are. probably explain the musical though before we let's talk let's about talk that.
1: about a brief summary of what Onegin is. And to be honest, you can't really spoil it. Onegin is in the public ter- like domain now. It's been out for a while. You can definitely just go. Download it and read it off the internet. Well,
0: and seeing this show will not be impeded by having it spoiled because this show was—it was a cabaret show. It
1: just—it it tells you straight away what's going to happen. Pretty the much. Yeah. Great, great. I loved it so much. Please go on, Jake.
0: So Eugene Onyegin is the story of a man named Freddie Rosenfield. No, no, his name is Eugene Onyegin. What do you think? You <laughs> have um, Jenny Onyegin in the Russian. hmm. Anyway, he's um, he's sort of. Uh, he's, like, sad birdie Wooster.
1: I would kind of go with, like, he gives, like, a sad, like, rich boy vibes, and he's like, oh, man, I'm such, like, a, you know, I'm such an F boy, but I'm so intelligent, too. He's kind of, like, a Byronic hero in a way, and why it comes from, like, boy. the Russian literary kind of, like, trope of superfluous men.
0: One question. Why can't we say fuck boy? This is the station that hosts Nardwar. I just want to point that out. Um...
1: I know, but I didn't do a content warning. Now, content warning. We're going to say fuck boy. Yeah. Okay. But,
0: uh, yeah, that's sort of who he is. And he's... Yeah,
1: Lishny Chil- if I'm going to say it incorrectly in Russian. It's basically an 1840s and 1850s Russian literary concept derived from the Byronic hero.
0: Yeah, and that's a- another thing to note when you're thinking about uh, Pushkin is that uh, Russia's relationship literally and culturally to the rest of the world has always been a little off. Hmm. And... During the the state of the czars, this is like this was well before lines of communication exceeded the letter. So
6: yeah, Russia was a little
0: uh, regional, might be a good way to put it, um, but also really weirdly distinct. Like, it was a little too east of Europe and a little too west of Asia.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: So it had this bizarre cultural place. And probably the closest domain it had was to Greece and the Caucasus. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- there was also a series of wars around that point largely in areas like Greece and the Caucasus. And uh, how, do, how best to how best to describe this there was a large there was a land of gentry in Russia because it was it was a semi theocratic monarchy the czars ran it and the and the, Greek, and the Russian Orthodox Church was instituted. Mm-hmm. And that the result was the people like Onyagin who were basically protected throughout. Like, they were the beneficiaries of the entire, uh, system is a cliched term, is a loaded term, but yeah, they were the beneficiaries of the system. So, Onyagen has carte blanche to do whatever he wants. In the poem, it points out, I think, that he's, he wrote poetry for a little bit, and then he generally just kind of monkeyed around, and yeah. then he decides to go to the country because he's so bored with the city.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, where he meets up with his buddy Lensky, who is a poet, and, um... His uh, sees the world through glasses that are a profound shade of rose. Um, Lenski is enamored of Olga, who has a sister, Tatiana, mm-hmm. and the two are night and day. Olga's very sprightly, very young country lassie. Uh, Tatiana is uh, a bookish shut-in. Would yeah, she's be.
1: more. She's more. I guess uh, reserved in a way.
0: In 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 the in the in the poem, she is. I think in this one too, she is. Basically, uh, kind of a Mm shut-in. And uh, so she falls for Onyagin, and she falls hard, um, and Onyagin rejects her. And in this one, it's interesting because in this one, it's him, oh, I don't want to be tied down. In the poem, as I remember it, it's that also, but it's informed by also legitimate self-hatred and the desire to very condescendingly protect her.
1: Mm-hmm. He admits that the letter was touching, but he would quickly grow bored with marriage and can only offer Tatiana friendship.
0: Yeah. And uh,
1: and they tell her to basically, you know, be more in control of your emotions, Tatiana. Other people can take advantage of you.
0: Yeah. Uh, that comes around, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Lens- he gets annoyed at Lensky and starts flirting with Olga.
1: That's right, because uh, Lensky despite uh, knowing that, you know, there's a little bit of, like, tension there, he invites Onegin to Tatiana's name day celebration.
0: Uh, Which is sort of like your birthday, because Mm -hmm. the baptism date. Um, And the result of that, as was the result of pretty much any kind of gaffy at that point in history, you know, Andrew Jackson was still alive, the duel! The duel. Um, Where uh, Lenski ends up dead, uh, as, you know, somebody's gotta go. Uh, And... Uh, Olga's a widow, and Eugene, and Evgeny, Eugene, whatever we want to call him, goes traveling for a little bit, comes back to, was it Moscow or St. Petersburg?
1: It was St. Petersburg.
0: St. Petersburg, where Olga has married a wealthy general.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that sort of torments him, and he ends up realizing his failure far too late, tries to get back with her, but she, <laughs> controls her emotions, as he said, and, um, rejects him roundly. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the cabaret, it sort of just leaves it there. I can't remember if there was an actual tragic ending to Onegin in the poem.
1: Well, the thing is, she it's the same thing. Like, she says that she does love Onegin, but she has moved on. Mm-hmm. She has moved on.
0: And the funny, the interesting thing about this is that Onegin, uh, not Onegin, Pushkin mm-hmm. himself died in a duel. Oh, really? Yeah.
1: That's interesting, yeah.
0: I think they say that in the beginning of this cabaret. And this staging, I want to say, that story sounds a little depressing. This staging was fun and a bun.
1: It was really fun. If we we're going to talk about the arts club, oh, let, yeah. let's just get right into it. I loved the way that it was set up, especially when you go in, you kind of have like a feeling of like a baroque, but industrial baroque. I think I told you that. Yeah,
0: it's a Panic at the Disco's Ballad of Mona Lisa music video. That's
1: right. I, I totally felt that vibe. I was like, oh my god, this is Vice's... And uh, I think vices and virtues. Yeah. I need to right. Yeah, I think yeah, so. I think so too.
0: Uh, but with that though, there's also there is a band,
1: mm-hmm. and, it, and
0: they engage the band. Several people also play different instruments, That's and you end right. up with an, it's an interesting sound. And I was trying to put my finger on it, and then I kind of realized what it was. Jim Steinman. Ah. It's Jim Steinman. Halfway through, you got, you got the piano there. You've got like got some, some rock and guitar or cello. Cello is the same range as a guitar, so it's the same effect, just different playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this sort of very bombastic singing. The guy playing Lensky, Josh Epstein, can really stretch a note. Yeah. And the guy playing Evgeny Onegin, Alessandro Giuliani, can stretch literally everything else. Oh that man God. is an amazing mover. I
1: could not even stop looking. When he was dancing, I was like, yo, I can see why everyone's like, Onegin, yes.
0: Like, he's, he's a really good dancer in that it seems like he has no bones. Yep. And that, that the amount of muscular control there just...
1: Not only that, he's actually a very great mu- musician as well. We saw him like, uh, play on the uh, guitar. Yeah, a lot of very a lot good. of people
0: played the instruments as well. <laughs> and I mentioned that the gentleman from Day Before Christmas, uh, that would be Andrew Wheeler, mm-hmm. is in this, and he's Prince Graham, the the guy Tatiana ends up with. Yeah, he's got a very robust roles. voice. Yeah. Oh yeah, him and uh, who was the other guy? Was that Andrew Mcnee, the bearded guy, bearded gentleman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They they played basically all of the ensemble parts. Well, Andrew McNeil also played a very hilarious fortune teller where he was slowly metamorphosing into Tom Waits. <laughs> I am I'm, I'm not kidding like that. Uh, that one, I was just smiling so broadly because it was like a like, uh, like that that sort of showmanship it that was really good. sort of weird yeah. thing going on. It was excellent. And um uh Tatiana who was played by Meg Rowe when we saw it, she was uh she was quite good. Mhm. Yeah, the great uh Pixie Cut. Too. It was,
1: mm-hmm. it was she nice. looks so. She looks so cute. Yeah. She so cute. The one thing I really liked about Onegin is that it was really fun for yeah. for oh, what yeah. it was. It, it it opened up as you mentioned cabaret style. So you already kind of know it's kind of like Hamilton in a way. It's like hey, you know there was a duel. Yeah, Somebody I was gonna say died. in that
0: there's a duel.
1: Somebody died. Yeah. That kind of thing.
0: And uh, also that in a well actually Hamilton. It, because of the medium it's in, also yeah. had to kind of seem like a concert at times, which you also do with something like the Buddy Holly story, where that's right almost the entire thing is music, but it's not an opera because there's not a lot of Buddy Holly's life to talk about. He died 23. In this case, what you have is a very intense, emotional story that's written entirely in verse, and mm-hmm. the idea is to translate that into song. And there, they, they, they pretty roundly succeeded. Oh, yeah, I would Veda say. Hill
1: did a great job, I think. Everyone's mm-hmm. like songs were uh, quite unique, but the motif. Kind of worked well with everyone's um, particular character arc, so to speak. We're talking about the ghosts. If we're going to talk about yeah. Onegin, talking about the ghosts, and he talks about how he lost his, you know, uncle. Then of course we learn that he's going to lose, you know, his friend. Yeah. And then he lost like his love. So they're all ghosts. Well,
0: that's sort of the thing in the ghosts. poem too. Is it's it's a in large part about how Onegin's own self-absorption eventually leaves him lonely. Hmm and he eventually knows what it is to be truly lonely, Uh, which just, yeah, (laughs) it comes around, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And with that, I kind of want to say that a lot of it did seem, at, at a lot of points, it did seem like they were addressing the audience more than each other. Yeah. But that fit. It's a small stage, and it's incredibly well rehearsed. Mm-hmm. Like, that's another thing, too. This is a restaging of a previous one, and you can tell that they a lot of time was put into this. There was, everything was on point, including the audience participation. They were giving out shots of vodka to the audience.
1: Yep, I know.
0: I, I, I was just lifting my hand like, excuse me, waiter, waiter, uh, uh, just to...
1: Sadly, you couldn't get one.
0: Oh, it was it was it was during the week. I don't think during the week. So, <laughs> but uh, that would have been like there was one thing that I did like a lot about it was they they nailed the audience participation, which is difficult. It's uh, and there's also the letters too. I got a copy of one of those actually. Let me you see did. if I can you find did. it. You did, yeah. get a Copy.
1: Uh, you were able to.
0: It says Tatiana. It's a small envelope here, very period accurate. And as I'm opening it right now, there is actually something inside it. I. I um uh, could you read that my cursor? I can
1: read it for you. I to myself I cannot read. I can't read it. it must have
0: been a doctor's handwriting. terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> but it has the word Tatiana in it.
0: Yes, it does, and that that's the important thing. Yeah. But that's uh, it it worked very well. I'd say I I recommend seeing this. Oh, it's it was a lot of fun. really
1: really good. Uh, the the songs gave me a trans Trans Siberian. Orchestra. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned that. I mentioned that because they have the. I believe the band was called the Grateful Dead or the Ungrateful Dead.
0: The Grateful Undead. The Grateful
1: Undead. I don't know. The
0: point was that they were in. That they were musicians in purgatory. Yeah. So that that was the joke there. Sorry for spoiling that joke. By the way, it was funny at
6: the time.
1: It was really funny. It was really funny. I really liked uh, "Let Me Die" when um, Tatiana uh, McRoe. Was oh, yeah. her solo? She's very, very great. Like you have that, that, that kind of soft, like you know, kind of beginning. Then it turned out to be like full on rock medley at the yeah. end with the guitar. It and did. I'm just like, wow.
0: When they play on the double meaning of the French, too, that was that was fun. Yeah, a lot of French in this play. A lot, a lot of uh, lot French in this play. Which, which makes sense because they're all the educated Continentals, you know. Hmm. Russia would be very much in vogue because there was a uh, big vogue for. I think was Baudelaire hit in Russia? I don't know. I suppose you would have been, you know, stories about the darkness and uh, degradation, and what have you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, check out on Yeagan. I mean, the Arts Club generally pulled, pulled that one pretty well together.
1: The one thing I, I wanted to kind of maybe talk about with On is that maybe it was just me, but it felt like it went really fast. It
0: it it um it was certainly very energetic, and that's where it felt like a cabaret. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of dialogue between the characters. It was almost it was it was almost an opera. It really was. There wasn't yeah. a lot of spoken dialogue at all.
1: Didn't they take out a lot of parts from the original uh, verse too? Ah, like the, you mentioned that Onegin traveling the countryside. They took that out.
0: Yeah, but that's again, like it's one of those things where mm-hmm. if you put that to song, a large part. This was a lot less sympathetic to Onegin than the original,
6: mm-hmm. but
0: the original is still pretty cutting to him. So it's it's how you want to convey the sentiment versus the te- that the actual. Literal text. Mm-hmm. And this took more liberties with the text, but it kept the sentiment intact.
1: One thing I really liked is the way they prop Tatiana. What do you mean? In, in the beginning, you're, you're going to go like, oh, no, poor Tatiana. She's going to be like a victim or whatever. And even when he says to her, like, oh, you know, like, ah, uh, I'm talking, right? Like, he, Yeah. He's, Onegin stops her. Like,
0: I'm not finished.
1: Yeah, I'm not finished. And then we have that Thanks, such Anye. a satisfying echo at the final bit. Yeah. We're not going to spoil it, but... I was going, yes, girl, go, Tatiana, and then I was just snapping my fingers Well see, when I did that off. at first,
0: I'm like, thanks, Kanye.
1: <laughs> it was just so good. I could not believe it. And that's like, the reason why I feel like this reimagining uh, by Emil Gladstone and Vita Hill was oh. very successful in the way that it felt really fun, like a musical should be at times.
0: Not, I should have made, made a Ross Perot joke, not Kanye. <laughs>
1: that's okay.
0: I recently watched a dollop episode on Ross Perot. Hmm. Little Texan guy. And that guy. Sort of. I'll start doing this accent now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry for that digression there.
1: That's okay. But yeah, uh, definitely check out Onegin. Really enjoyable. I, I think they're still going. Um, it, it, Just go, go go check it out. Go check it out.
0: They're doing Beauty and the Beast next. They're up.
1: also doing Beauty and the Beast. That's at the Stanley. This is at the yeah, Granville. I know, but
0: the Arts Club yeah. in general has both, so you can also patronize <laughs> Also, one thing,
1: that, one thing that was really interesting is that they're also going to change up the casting, I believe.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's in the program. There's a different Tatiana and a different Onyegin. Um, mm-hmm. let me, let me just, let me just verify that. Yeah. Darren A. Herbert would step in as on Jägen, and I want to say, uh, Gillis would be Tatiana.
1: Mm-hmm. Just really good. I really recommend it. If you want to, I might, you know what, I might even go see it again just because I liked it that much. It was, and it was,
0: again, this would also be, it's, it's a good social outing. It's not... Because it, it's not depressing.
1: No, it's not is... depressing, but it still feels not too kind of, like, musical, musically. You know what I mean?
0: What do you mean? Some like, people uh, are like,
1: oh, no, if it's too show tunesy, I don't like it. Oh, well, what's wrong with too show tunesy? Some people too don't like it. They don't like it.
0: And... Well, it's like there's, you know, like there's something like Singing in the Rain, which I still, you know, love, which is sort of like the mm-hmm. poster child for that in some ways, although I guess maybe Showboat or South Pacific would be. In the original showboat had Paul Robeson in it. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Stalinist, though, he was. Um, yeah, like, that's... This is this does seem like more like a cabaret than a musical. It is more cabaret. And you know how I can tell you that's a good thing? How? I've seen the ridiculous freaking darkness. <laughs> oh, sorry, wait, content warning. The ridiculous fucking darkness. Uh-huh. And the general thing about that is that the ridiculous darkness was a horribly misguided project, as I've mentioned, and I'm going to mention again because I was really annoyed by it, was a horribly misguided project that took a script that on its own would be a little inane and put in a really good set of cabaret performances that do not work in any given capacity with the overarching theme of it. So you're left thinking, okay, that was a good cabaret show. Why did I pay to see this play though? When I would, when I probably would have <laughs> wanted to just, just ca- go <laughs> t- I don't know, see a cabaret show that had the Richmond Youth Choir a Taika Group. And uh, oh wait, 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 damn it! It was good. <laughs> That's
1: what it was. Anyway. <laughs> Richmond Youth
0: Choir, the Taika Group, the, in general, oh, no. and the. The uh, Aboriginal dancing group.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Again, uh, that's sort of... In this case, it was an organic sort of siege into the cabaret, and they referenced that because they referenced the music. They put the aesthetic together. It seems like a very solid gestalt, and I think also because of the rehearsal there, you get this definite sense of everybody here knows exactly what they're working towards, and they're working around that. The
1: choreography was really tight, too. I really liked that.
0: Yeah, that was... Uh, you can Definitely kind of case. feel
1: everyone's like little like style too. Like everyone dances in a particular way, and no one is as flashy as Onegin, though. Oh well,
0: yeah, because again, that that guy's oh, just like an amazing dancer, He's so and good. he does get the opportunity to steal the show a few times. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, the effects in it too—they cater to that. Like there was one thing where they uh, the 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 chorus characters shoot a duck. Yep. And there's a poof of confetti, but there's no duck that falls down.
1: And then they kind of look up. It's so fun. I love when they do that.
0: Yeah. Those little side jokes. And that, that sort of cabaret tradition is funny because that's what influenced Brecht, Brecht. We need some kind of shorthand for that. Uh, and also e. e. Cummings, come to think of it, it, is sort of an inspiring medium, but it's also one that you don't see a lot anymore because that was vaudeville, right? Yeah. And vaudeville is probably one of the most famously displaced genres of the past century. So... When you think about that, that, that this still sticks around and that this is still as good as it is, is, you know, a kind of an odd sign of preservation there.
5: Mm-hmm. It
0: works. And that's that is a testament very much to the people who put this together and so. just yeah. the time it's taken to get to this point. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I it, if I want to do want to continue comparing this to ridiculous darkness, I do wonder what would happen if I saw the ridiculous darkness again, if it kept running. Maybe they'd smooth out, smooth that out. But even then, the gap between the content and the presentation was just glaring. Mm-hmm.
1: And now a gap between our uh, content. We have a few short messages. We'll be back after these short messages. Thank you. It sounds good.
2: A show dedicated to playing psychedelic music from parts of the spectrum: rock, pop, electronic, as well as garage and noise rock.
6: Good.
2: Sundays, 5 to 6 p.m. CITR, 101.9 FM.
6: The
4: most powerful, motivational speeches that I have ever heard came from people who told me I couldn't do something. (laughs) You know why? Because when they told me I couldn't do it, I was bound and determined to show them that i could
1: all access pass is back for season two we are collectively run weekly program that discusses equity inclusion and accessibility issues on and off ubc's campus including both visible and invisible disabilities you can catch all access pass every thursdays from 2 to 3 p.m anyone can get involved no experience is necessary people of all abilities are welcome to join Check us out on Facebook at All Access Pass, or get involved by emailing at at citr.ca. The wings are wide. The, the wings, wings are wide. wide. I, Vice
0: is
6: good.
0: Yeah, I, I I get a kick out of her. Mm-hmm. I still like the reminders. Still a great album, you know. It, like it just, is
1: really one of my favorite albums. I still play like one, two, three, four as much as I can.
0: That's like that's uh, I I think I know that one on piano. If I, I've probably forgotten it's at this so point. So nice. It's so nice. This being the end of the year show, I kind of want to make this point before I forget it. It's sort of the time when we look back on the year and we talk about, you know, the highlights, lowlights, things that spoke to us. Mm -hmm. I do want to mention last year, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if this made it into the final podcast, but I mentioned Happy Birthday Guadalupe by The Killers, which I was under the impression was released that year. I was wrong by several years Uh and would like to issue a a retraction for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had just not been aware of the Killers album of Christmas music. Still a great Christmas album, by the way. They're coming here tonight, actually. The fact that I'm not going to be able to see that sort of stings me, but it's also, you know, exam, being, exam season being what it is. Uh, the, also, small retraction for the Ridiculous Darkness episode, I referred to T.S. Eliot as an English poet. He was, in fact, American, but he was an Anglophile. Also a uh, deeply Orthodox anti-Semite, as many are familiar. So he did get a very indicative portrait painted of him by Wyndham Lewis. Also a, uh, well, actually, Wyndham Lewis was more of a distinct proto-fascist than that, but, you know, tomato, tomato. Right. Mm-hmm. What you pulling up there?
1: Just the Ramones Merry Christmas, I Don't Want to Fight Tonight, which uh, will play us out.
0: You read my mind. Thank yeah. you. What about, now, looking back on this year, you know, we've come to think of it, we got we got a good bit of content to look back on.
1: Yeah, we we do, actually. I One thing I really liked about this year is we had, a uh, lot of like great new arts reporters joining us, uh, doing a lot of good reviews for the underrepresented. We had a uh, web comedy series that was uh, reviewed by uh, Iliana. We had a art uh, exhibit reviewed by Tatiana. Did yep. not mean for those names to rhyme.
0: We had a lot. I wish we had Tatiana on the show today. Mm-hmm. We
1: had <laughs> uh, we had uh, Vif. We had Vaf which is also very good. It was the yeah. first time a reporter went to VAF, and uh, it, it was a very uh, good experience for us. Uh, and we went to a lot of great theater shows, too.
0: For me, my top three are probably on uh, Onyegin, Wilderness, and um, Oh, Lonesome West. Because I've been thinking about this a lot. Like Lonesome West made me laugh like a hyena. It was mm-hmm. a great show. That was very great, very funny. And Wilderness was a show that like, I honestly, like, just was novel to me. Like, it was novel and experimental in a way that it actually worked and put itself together. Again, unlike the ridiculous freaking darkness. Uh-huh. Darkness. You
1: gotta let that go, buddy. You gotta let that go. I gotta let
0: that one go. It's just annoyed the crap. out of me. And then on Onyagen was just a really excellent cabaret show. Like, the, those were all very high-quality shows, and they all sort of... Mm. They sort of fit on a continuum with each other, I think. Because when you think about it, The Lonesome West, still horribly, if you view it at face value, horribly depressing show. But funny as all hell. Because, you know what, sometimes that's funny. Sometimes you got to have a good laugh. Martin McDonough actually made a new movie, apparently. Um, Which is a bit of a departure, because it's set in the south of all places, with Mary and Irishman (laughs) in sight.
1: For me, I think um, one of my highlights is definitely Onegin'. I think another highlight is going to be the Disaster Artist tomorrow. I
0: I, Again, I don't want to... The thing about the Disaster Artist is I'm looking forward to seeing it. Mm -hmm. My expectations of it are suspended to a degree because I am fairly certain that James Franco has something up his sleeve in one direction or the other, but it's even odds which way it's going to go.
1: Yep. Also, I really liked the Fringe Festival this year. We had a lot of uh, good uh, shows that we got to uh, go... Um, see a lot of uh, artists we got to go to t- uh, go talk to, which is really great. And I enjoyed seeing Happy Days uh, here at UBC Theatre. I really enjoyed Angels in America. Perestroika? Yeah, That was very good, uh, yes. That was very good, too. And I think those are kind of like my highlights. A lot of the uh, theatre coming out uh, this year really touched me on some points and either making me very angry that I leave or making me um just be at the edge of my seat clapping along to like the music. It just um a lot of good work, um really kind of uh provocative work, should I say, happened and there's a lot of things changing in twenty seventeen that feels both kind of like we've gone backward and also that we've gone forward.
0: Well that that gap is not ideal in a few ways but you know at least there's a forward element to it there is
1: a forward element to it i do feel like um the arts and what is being expressed by artists and the power dynamics that come to making art is being explored more than ever right now so that is one thing i i feel so i feel so i feel like who's making the art who is creating that message is now being as you know Taken seriously than the art, then of course the art, and then we mentioned this to um, the actor who came in our last show. Yeah, yeah.
6: I remember.
1: Mm-hmm. And he he was kind of talking about it. Uh, he was kind of like on the on the fence about it. He's like, you know, he does feel like the character needs to be seen separately, you know, from the art, or the art being separately, you know, seen separately from the artist. But I think now we are at a point where we have to kind of see as artists like how does our art affect other people how do our art or our words or the way that we express change the world in a way
0: well this is sort of an issue I kind of have with that and this is the fact that to an extent there's always going to be an element in art that is to a degree very and this is probably affected by the fact that I've been reading a lot of E. e. Cummings but there's always a certain kind of individualism that comes of art. Um, mm-hmm. There's always... Because there's always an author. Whether or not there is an author in practice will attribute one to a piece. Because you can have a piece built by a committee, but everyone's going to f- want to figure where did this come from specifically. Mm-hmm. You can't just say, this exists on its own right. Everything comes from somewhere. And the, the thing about that, especially the thing with... Um, sp- how that's factoring into the genres that are having trouble or dying... Uh, Or or it's a dying genre, you know, or as many people have said, genres Mm -hmm. that our demographic kills, apparently, uh, including perhaps radio. Uh, The point uh, is that that interaction is less sustainable than we previously realized. Yeah. And other factors get introduced into it. And because of that, what I feel as someone who creates content in more than one of these supposedly dying mediums is that there is always an option for form to contort itself. Because as we might have mentioned, vaudeville on Yegin's here. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you transported, say, Buster, childhood Buster Keaton's childhood compatriots who are in the vaudeville show watching him get the crap beaten out of him without, you know, moving his face, and they saw on Yeagin, they'd be like, huh? But we can trace that continuity,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's very interesting to know.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's, that's it means
0: something to someone, is what I
1: kind of yes, yeah. very roundabout. It does. And I think it. it the, the thing that I want to kind of, like, look forward to in 2018 is that uh, even if we have these forms or traditions that people like to think of, like, oh, you can't touch that as tradition, you can't touch that as, you know, that, I I want to kind of, like, uh, I want to see art that looks deeper into how these traditions are made.
0: Like what? What's like,
1: the... I don't know, You were you were kind of talking about, you know, gospel music and how it comes from, like... Dominican, you know, like, monks and whatnot, right?
0: Oh yeah, that that's way back. Like, that's, that's way back, that's what I'm saying. As we're talking about composition. But, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the there's a root to it. And those traditions go a great way back. But they're also so far in the public domain at this point yeah. that you can question them to a great degree. Like, there's a lot of people for whom religion is a great part of their life who wouldn't mm-hmm. think twice at someone co-opting Hildegard of Bingham because that's just... The association of it—it's gone. It's it's history now, yeah. more than faith.
1: For 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 me, what I what as I'm, a
0: non-believer, I say this. What I'm talking I'm about, what I,
1: what I uh, I am talking about when I say like, I would like for us to kind of look at uh, tradition, how they come from, is that I feel like 2018 is going to be a year of transformative work. We have a lot of people who are interested in creating, as uh, the member of Global Party Starter said, that they want to you know challenge and not expectations
0: of the genre yeah
1: expectations of of the genre and do something uh different i would love to see where that goes to i feel like 2018 is going to be that kind of year you already have people who are kind of ousting away old hollywood the you know shaking up the 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 guards of well i don't know if
0: i've said this before but the day warren Beatty dies is the day the golden age of hollywood ends Properly, because that he's the the last surviving milestone of that. That that's he's the last surviving figurehead. I
1: I feel like really like maybe this is gonna get me a lot of um, um, yeah, flack negativity. Is that when we call things golden age? I feel like we don't. See how that gold is made. Oh,
0: the Golden Age is t- was terrible for yeah. a majority of people, but the point of that is that, that it was great for the industry, which tells you something about the way that's put together. <laughs> oh,
1: no, yeah, that was the way was put The together. funny
0: thing I've heard is that 2016 was the year everyone died, and 2017 is the year everyone turns out to be awful. Yeah. and it's this All your
1: heroes is, are monsters.
0: Well— This is the thing about that. I'm wary of calling people heroes because Mm -hmm. I'm aware that the people that I've probably seen as heroes, like Christopher Hitchens, for example, have done a lot of questionable things at very least. I know that Christopher Hitchens' habits killed him. I know that he said things that are probably chauvinistic and Islamophobic to a certain degree, and I'm willing to defend him on some of those and willing to say, you know what, beat up the dead man on other ones. But the point of that is where you draw the line. And I think Mm -hmm. we talked about that before about Siegel and Schuster. Yeah. But – that line is is mutable, and you have to draw it. It is a line in the sand, so you have to understand that it's a mutable thing that you're trying to impose permanency on. Dan, mm-hmm. d- does the fact that Kevin Spacey's a predator mean that I'm I'm gonna like say uh, how, that I'm gonna like The Usual Suspects any less? No, I, I still like The Usual Suspects a lot. But mm-hmm. the thing is that you can make great art and still be a terrible person and you can appreciate that art and not condone the person because Chinatown is one of my favorite movies of all time and I think Mm -hmm. Roman Polanski should probably be in prison having horrible things done to him on a daily basis because of what he's done Mm
1: -hmm. for me I whenever I see somebody that I go immediately I actually really don't like Ben Affleck I really don't I I like
0: him as a director and producer I just don't think he's a very good actor
1: I don't like him in basis of him as a you know what he's what he might have you know done especially with uh all the other allegations especially knowing Weinstein that kind of thing. So for me, when I have to separate, I separate, but I don't congratulate as as other people might have. They might be like, "Oh, he's so great. Of course he can't do that." I don't I don't do that. I go like, "Okay, he did okay in this role, but I don't particularly find him any more laudworthy than somebody else laudable. who laudable. Thank you. Laudable than somebody else who is not a bad person, but you know, performs at a same level or even better?
0: Well, for me, the example of who you can tee off on is Chris Brown because Chris Brown's a terrible person and a terrible artist. And the fact that he is still successful is probably indicative of the, not only of a certain low bar that is not being set by his listeners, it's being set by A&R that will push his product. Mm. Because... There are a lot of people who will listen to something based on genre, and that number is decreasing, but Spotify is one of the services, for example, that helps that. And when you're a genre artist, which Chris Brown certainly is, because he does not have the panache to be translatable or relatable, he, you end up with—and and I'm not saying that from a racial standpoint. I'm saying that for the fact that nothing he's ever done is original. It's incredibly derivative within his genre, and that includes the album he won a Grammy for. The fact of the matter with someone like Chris Brown is that there are people who invested money in, make, in putting him where he is, and even when they turned out that he was an abusive piece of shit, they kept him going because that money is a vested interest, and he is still an abusive piece of shit, and he still does not deserve your money. That was a known fact many years ago, and this is one of those things that kind of gets ignored because it's less present news. And this is another thing. Celebrity news to me is less informative, but when it gets into the news sphere, as it is right now, mm-hmm. for example, I have issues with Joe Rogan. I listen to his podcast because we make a podcast, and I oftentimes I get, I get a fond feeling from the guy. I don't think he's a bad person. He's had bad people on his show,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's good that they're at least there to, you know, you can see people try and explain themselves frequently yeah i I guess but for
1: me if i even if i have my own podcast i don't want to listen to um somebody that i i know personally that i i don't want to support
0: see i i think i i think joe rogan is a master of ambivalence in that regard okay but i I i don't think he's a bad person for that i think he's a savvy broadcaster Okay. And part of the thing that a lot of the time, the reason a lot of the time what we're talking about here is sort of post weinstein storm of sexual uh, as allegations, which now at some point involved Garrison Keillor. Okay, that's just a weird image. When that comes out, a lot of the information I get on the opposite side of that, on the defensive side of that, comes from the sphere that I would say anchors around Joe Rogan's podcast.
6: Mm.
0: For me, anyway, because For that's you. a reference pool that I'm at least willing to take at face value.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: And that, I think, if we're going to play out 2017 to this... There's different points to be made about this, but I think one point is, you know, think about what you consume to a degree. You don't have to think about it a lot. Yeah. I mean, we, know, the, we, we, we do this way too much. That's yeah. why we have this show.
1: Like, look at the ingredients box of whatever you eat.
0: Well, yeah, but well, yeah. you can't make Chardonnay out of shit. You can't make an album that should win a Grammy from Chris Brown's vocals. Okay.
1: All right, you know, dude. All
0: right. I, I I I realize I'm beating a dead horse there, but seriously. Mm-hmm. He, you know what? Chris Brown and TMZ I'm just gonna say one thing. I Merry Christmas.
1: To. I don't wanna fight tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a good way to back down. We're over time, aren't we? Oh, I wanted to get into Justice League. I know. Last time, when I did the Batman v. Superman, I remember Christine just off the air, just waving at me, stop, stop. And I couldn't see because I was trying to rummage through my bag to get my notes.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> notes. And, and, she tur- and by the time I turned back up, she'd just given up and let <laughs> me rant on Batman v. Superman.
1: I have a lot of feelings about Justice League, too. But what we're going to do is we're going to save it for next year. All right. That sounds good.
0: And probably just in the middle of the disaster artist. Who yeah. to just suddenly start ranting. She'll be back by next year, right? she goes back oh god nothing's changed
1: oh boy we gave
0: you guys a year why
1: (laughs) anyway thank you so much for listening to the arts report in in 2017 Mm -hmm.
0: despite the vitriol we love you Mm
1: -hmm. and if you have anything that you want to say that you're like you know what Ashley you know what Jake I don't agree with you and here's my reasons why stop
0: doing the accents Jake
1: feel free to uh, email us us at arts a r t s at c a t r dot c a we do want to know how you consume your media at C I T R one hundred and one point nine FM. Hope you guys enjoy the Ramones' "Merry Christmas." I don't want to fight tonight.
0: That's a good enough. Cheers.
4: What? Are
5: doing what I'm reading a Christmas carol Oh, That's... since when did you learn
4: to read? Oh, don't start
5: with Lose me. Well then don't start with me. We were supposed to visit my parents in Mineola but no we have to have a Christmas party for your friends. My friends? Yes your friends. friends, are your I, don't friends. friends. I don't have any friends. You're right. You're, You're right. You're right because I don't had... know how to make friends.
4: Merry Christmas. I don't want to
6: like this on Christmas. I know. What